And so we've been in this series now uh, uh, called Out of the Darkness, Out of Exodus for a while. And, and we've seen how the Israelites were oppressed in slavery in Egypt and how Moses was God's answer, but how Moses didn't do it right initially. And if you remember Moses, uh, he takes it into his own hands and kills an, an Egyptian. And then he takes off and runs. And last week we talked about how God had prepared Moses for the role he was to play. And after all the preparation, Moses finally steps into his role and he goes to confront Pharaoh to liberate the Israelites. And he does what he was prepared and trained to do. And last week I said that we too have been prepared and trained for the time that we are in, that we are to be the chaplains of our contact list, that we're to be people who pray for our, the folks in our contact list. We're to be people who, um, who are hearing from God and sharing that. We're checking in on those, uh, those who are around us, so your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. And I've heard uh, actually some really super exciting uh, stories from people who, who did that. This week already, I've heard some stories from people who took this seriously and have begun to reach out to those around them in their sphere of influence with some significant impact. And so all I want to say about that, just as a, by way of a reminder, is two things. First of all, if you haven't begun to reach out to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your relatives, or really anyone on your phone's contact list, I mean, just pull out your phone and text them. You already have your phone out anyway. I don't know if you looked at your screen time report this week, but I looked at my screen time report this week, and I've spent way more time on this. So you already have your phone out anyway. Reach out to those people who are around you and text them. See how they're doing. Check in on them. Make sure they're okay. That's the first thing. The second thing is if you're already doing it, keep it up. One key to the Christian life is faithfulness. And this is showing up over and over and over again, even when you don't feel like it. It's showing up as a follower of Jesus to represent him. And so keep doing it. If you've started, keep doing it. So. So in our story, Moses confronts Pharaoh, and what happens is that God backs up Moses' act. And when Moses shows up, God puts on this demonstration. And what follows, chapter 7 through chapters 12 of Exodus, and you can get your Bible if you have it. You can turn to Exodus because we're going to be reading. But what happens in chapters 7 through 12 is these 10 plagues that happen on the Egyptians. This is God demonstrating and backing up what Moses is doing. And you can take a look at all the specifics, but they generally follow the same pattern. Moses goes to Pharaoh. He says, hey, let my people go or this bad thing is going to happen. And then Pharaoh doesn't let the people go. Then the bad thing happens. And then Pharaoh calls Moses back and says, hey, listen, if you will make this stop, you all can go. And then so then Moses makes it stop. And then Pharaoh backs out. That's basically the pattern. So for nine times until Exodus 11, Moses has been doing this. And when we get to Exodus 11, Moses comes with the 10th plague. And what he says to Pharaoh is, let my people go or every firstborn in Egypt will die. Firstborn sons, firstborn animals, every firstborn will die if you don't let my people go. And we then we're sort of left with this cliffhanger. If you turn to the next chapter, chapter 12, there's sort of like this pause that happens. It's like this, this hard stop. You're like, wait a minute, did it happen or doesn't it happen? And we get these, this detail, these details of this weird 
ceremonial meal that the Israelites are supposed to eat. And you can read, if you have your Bible open, Exodus 12, you can read along with me and follow along. Exodus 12, in, in verse, uh, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. God says this is going to be a new start for a new life for Israel. Time is starting over. This is a new genesis. This month starts your years going forward. God says from now on, your years will begin from my decisive action to rescue you. Verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. This is for the whole community. It's not an individual salvation, an individual rescue of uh, this is about getting yourself personally right with God. This is God saying, I'm going to rescue a whole community. That this is not a, a, a me, this is a we salvation. This is a we rescue. I think a lot of times in America, we, we sort of get this like, Jesus is your personal Savior, you personally are saved. But there's sort of a communal aspect to what God does in the world. That God saves His people, not His person, His people. And so there's a community aspect of this. This is your collective heritage. Verse 4. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take from them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they will eat the lambs. Now we'll come back to this part. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So Moses tells Pharaoh in chapter 11, the last plague is going to be the death of the firstborn of everything in Egypt, even animals. And here's the reality. This includes everyone in Egypt, including the Israelites. And then in chapter 12, we get this pause, and God says, but I'm going to make a provision for you, my people. There will be a way of salvation for you. And then we read on that the 10th day, you're to select as many perfect lambs as you will need to feed everyone and then care for them for four days. If you've read this passage before, this may not have jumped out to you. Why care for these lambs for four days? It's a little strange. Like, why not just pick them on day 14? Okay, we're going to kill this one, this one, this one, and this one. Day 14, pull them out, 
We're going to kill him. On day 14, all of Israel slaughters their lambs, collects the blood of the lambs, and paints it on their door frames. Then they take the lambs and have a feast inside with roasted lamb, bitter herbs, and unleavened bread. But this isn't a normal feast. At this feast, you're supposed to eat it like you're in a hurry to leave, already dressed to leave with your staff in your hand. I mean, ladies, try this next time. You go to a fancy party where you have to dress up, and you walk in the door, and somebody come and they greet you at the door, and, and they say, I'll take your jacket and your purse and put it over here. And you say, no, I'm going to wear my jacket. I'm going to hold my purse, clutch it under my arm, and I'm going to keep my shoes on while I eat. And oh, by the way, I'm going to eat pretty quick because I'm ready to go. It just doesn't, it's a little weird, right? Like maybe some of you do that and there's probably prayer for you if, if that's the way that you do dinner parties. But when the Lord goes to take the firstborn in the land, Israel can be saved. He will see the blood on the doorframe and will pass over the house. So what's happening? Like, what is this whole weird pause before we find out that God's actually going to do what he says he does? And here's what's happening. God is about to act decisively to free the Israelites from slavery. But in the process of this rescue, God builds in a meal for Israel to remember. In fact, verse 14 says this, This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. God says, you're going to do this to remember. You're going to eat this meal again and again and again to remember. I know in 2020, there's uh, often a, a lot of tremendous pushback to all things ceremonial or ritualistic. And I know, uh, you know, many of us tend to think of these things as like rote and dead. Maybe it's, that's how you feel. Maybe you feel like, man, these, these things are kind of rote. They're kind of dead. And I just don't, I don't do ceremony. But here's the thing. Ritual and ceremony doesn't automatically equate to lifeless. Every year for my flying job, I go back to the simulator for training. If you didn't know I fly airplanes for a living, now you do. Uh, and every year the same thing happens before I go. I study all the systems of the airplane. I break out the book. I mean, it's a big book. It's a real big book. And I study all the systems of the airplane. I refresh, refresh my memory on all of the emergency actions for any given situation. And then I get in the simulator and they simulate each one of those emergencies so that I can go through the processes that I've remembered. This never changes. Year in and year out, it's never different. It's the same thing over and over and over. The engine's on fire. The engine has failed. Oh my gosh, the cabin has lost pressure. We do all the same things year in and year out. And in 19 years of flying airplanes, I have never once used any of those procedures in real life. And I could argue that these are just dead, rote, waste of time, ceremonial actions that I go year in and year out to perform. But what the aviation industry has discovered is that routinely doing these events prepares you to act without having to stop and think when actual events happen because your brain and muscle memory has been shaped by the training. In other words, repeated ceremony of aviation training shapes you to naturally react in a time of crisis. Friends, God knows this. He knows that every time you do something, you are forming yourself into a certain kind of person 
who reacts in a certain kind of way. So when God gives the Israelites the Passover meal, he's setting them up to be the kind of people who respond in situations by remembering this moment and something in particular. What is it? The great rescue of the Israelites from slavery didn't happen because Moses finally got his act together and killed Pharaoh. It didn't happen because the Israelites finally summoned the courage to fight back against the oppressive Egyptians. It didn't happen because Israelites decided to think positive thoughts and never entertain negativity. It didn't happen for any other reason than because God provided a way out of death that was to come. And they obediently trusted the mercy of God. What's the ceremony reminding the Israelites to do or to be? God was reminding the Israelites that it was because his grace and mercy that they were saved. And their salvation became, came because of the death of the Lamb. So why did the Israelites have to care for the Lamb for four days? Why this weird little statement about you got to like care for these lambs for four days? The text doesn't exactly say, but here's what I think happened. And I, I think I could back this up. I believe that it's so that the Israelites could bond with the lambs. Four days is long enough, you know, to bond a little bit so that when you kill the lamb, you feel the reality that this lamb is dying so that your firstborn doesn't. As you paint the blood on the door frame, you feel the gravity of the sacrifice that was made so that your firstborn would be spared. Do you feel that? Like that's why we're, do that's why we're doing this Good Friday thing so that we can feel the gravity of the death of Jesus before we go triumphantly proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. We want to feel that. We want to know that there was a cost that was paid on our behalf. So the Israelites do what God says, and things happen exactly as God says. Verse 30 says there was not a house in Egypt without someone dead. Verse 31, here's, what's fair, here's what happens right in the middle of the night. Verse 31, Pharaoh says, During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, and as you have, as you have said, and go, and also bless me. So he sends the whole nation out. Finally kicks them all out right in the moment. And there's some, there's some genius in God's plan in that, that God has this meal that they're eating already dressed, ready to go. They have unleavened bread because this is what you're going to have. It's not going to have time for the leaven to like actually make it bigger. So we're going to make unleavened bread because we're going to be out the door, guys. This is the celebration, this unleavened bread. It comes because we as, we're not going to have time for this. And so because the Israelites were in this ready-to-leave posture, they were ready to leave. And in this way, God delivered the Israelites from slavery. If you catch it, Pharaoh, even on the way out, asks the Israelites to bless him. At this point, after 10 plagues, Pharaoh goes, I give. Maybe your God can save me. Maybe your God can bless me. And there's no comment about whether he ever, be, actually, there. if you read on, he doesn't actually become part of the nation of Israel. But there's this sort of like moment that, that he comes to that says, their God is real. And this is how God does it. Friends, as we approach Easter, we're invited to remember another Passover meal. 
We're invited to remember another time where God acted decisively to free his people from slavery. You see, Jesus sent his disciples into town with instructions to prepare the Passover feast, the commemoration of God's great act in freeing the Israelites from slavery. As they sat together eating this ceremonial meal, Jesus begins to redefine the meal. The bread eaten during the meal is known as the bread of affliction. This is in the Jewish uh, culture. This is the custom. The, the custom in eating the Passover is extensive. But there's these two places, the bread of affliction. And Jesus takes this, this bread that the Israelites would eat to remember their suffering in Egypt. And Luke twenty two nineteen 19 says, And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me. Jesus takes the bread of affliction from the meal and says, in my body, I will bear your afflictions. And then scattered throughout this meal, and I'll post a link in the, in the comments to a video if you're interested in more study, but scattered throughout this meal uh, of Jewish celebration, there's what's known as the four cups and everybody drinks the four cups. The four cups are filled with wine. And there's this third cup that comes after the meal. It's called the cup of redemption. And here's what Jesus says, continuing uh, in verse 20. In the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus takes this cup of redemption and says, my blood is for your redemption. And in fact, Jesus is recreating the Exodus moment where God rescues his people from slavery and oppression, and Jesus sets himself up as the lamb that dies so that God's people can live. What was the slavery? What was the oppression that they were being set free from? Any first century Jew might say, well, it's the Roman occupation. But Jesus says it's the slavery and oppression of sin and death. That I'm going to deal with. And as the dust settles on the account of the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, a new kind of people emerge. These are people who no longer hoped in the blood of an unblemished lamb, but people who hoped in the blood of the perfect lamb of God. These are a people whose year began from the day God took decisive action to rescue his people. If you check the date now, it says A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, that time changed, that we mark a year because of the, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lamb of God. Today we celebrate our Passover, this meal Jesus redefined for us. It's a meal that retells our story. It's open to everyone who has placed their hope in the mercy and grace of God demonstrated to us in Jesus, who died that we might live. Now we call it communion, although the term really just comes from what is happening among those who are present. It's the communing of those who share this, this story. We who follow Jesus celebrate this meal as a collective retelling of our story. It's why we do this. I mean, when we get together, we do this week in and week out. Some people have been like, hey, we do this a lot. I don't ever want us to get away from the reality of the story that we belong to.
This is the story that defines who we are. When you look at the diverse people who are a part of our community, the only story that holds us all together is the story of the sacrificial death of Jesus. This is the moment that God acted decisively on our behalf, and we remember. But we do this with anticipation of a time when we will feast with Jesus in the kingdom of God.